Hello, and welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode number 53. Today, Brian and I are talking about the culture, history, and archaeology of the crucifixion. We take a look at the true purpose of crucifixion, how even the Jews used crucifixion before the Romans, and some archaeology that illuminates the crucifixion of Jesus. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that you can find us at thebiblebistro.com, on Instagram and Facebook at The Bible Bistro. You can watch us on YouTube as well at Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. If you are watching us there, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. We've also set up a Patreon account, so if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to support our work financially, you can do that. You can find a link for that in the show notes, but also by going to the website, thebiblebistro.com, and clicking on the link at the top. If you can't financially support us, you could also support The Bistro by simply sharing the podcast with others or leaving us a review on Apple Podcast. That helps as well. All right, let's jump right into our conversation about the crucifixion. Hey, Brian, welcome back to the Bistro. Hey, Ryan, good to be at the Bistro again. What a good day. Yes, it is. It is a good day. We're doing this on a Saturday, so it's pretty laid back, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm in my flannels today. I've been doing a little yes. housework and that kind of stuff. So. Have you? Yeah. I'm in a button-up Carhartt, so it's a little different. It's kind <laughs> your of, typical Carhartt. I'm usually in the in the T-shirt, but I call these button-ups my Saturday shirt because it's like I don't I'll care just shirt. Throw this out there for any Carhartt marketing representative listening that <laughs> if you're looking for an in between <laughs> faith communities and Carhartt, Ryan is a huge fan. That's all I'll be true. Ryan is a huge Carhartt fan. <laughs> is that a fat joke? No, you're a big. You said I'm a huge. You're a big I'm a fan. huge fan. You're an extra that, extra large. You're fan. defining the fan as huge. I can't believe it. I can't believe we're having this conversation. What size scarf anyway. do you wear? Don't worry about it, Brian. <laughs> okay, man sized. That's what I wear. Okay. Anyway, with that um, slight, if we were in person and you made that joke, I'd have walked up on a stage and slapped you across the face. <laughs> Like little, Will little cultural reference for anybody that saw the Oscars this week. This last week. Man, did you see? Uh, well, this isn't really keep what we're, my shirt size out of your mouth. This is this isn't really what we're talking about today. But uh, um, the uh, he just resigned from the academy. So I didn't know if you saw did that. He really? Yeah, he did just today. Breaking so. news. You heard it here first. Maybe <laughs> you heard it here first. Of course. Also, the movie After Earth, starring Will Smith, is horrible and like a slap in the <laughs> you face. You heard it here first. So if you. So. So if you want to get slapped in the face by Will Smith, watch the movie After Earth. Oh, that's terrible. The um, it is a terrible. It was, movie. It, you know, and there, of course, a lot of lot of people talking about that. So, but anyway, that's yes. not what we're All talking right. about. It's, we're not talking about this. Uh, we're actually going to talk about the Bible. You know, when this um, when this episode comes out uh, on, it'll be the Tuesday before um, the Sunday that we often call Palm Sunday, and yes. uh, so. Interesting thing then, of course, the week after that's Easter. And so we thought mm -hmm. we would talk leading up to kind of this this final week, uh, you know, this this important week in our in our calendar between Palm Sunday and Easter. We thought we'd talk about the crucifixion uh, of Jesus, but in a different way, kind of in light of the archaeology and the culture of the time, just some of the details that we find in the Gospels will be a little bit interesting. And so, so I think that that's, that's kind of a way for us to prepare for and lead up to this, this thing of uh, thinking about the crucifixion. Um, and then we want to talk about resurrection and uh, the following Tuesday, just to, just to kind of prepare people for that. So, 
Absolutely. Yeah, sounds good. One of the things that I always uh, I always said to we talked about atonement uh, in another episode you might remember and, and talked about mm-hmm. it quite a bit. Uh, there's a book I I can't remember if I mentioned it then or not, but one of the first books I read on atonement that were, was very uh, influential for me was Leon Morris, uh, Australian biblical scholar, really good scholar. It's an older book now. I mean, like <laughs> all the books I've read like now you. are older books. Like right? you, it's old. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the uh, Leon Morris's book on atonement was one of the first I read, and I was I always recommend to to people who are going to be oh preaching or or working on the worship service, I always said, that's a good book to read leading up to Easter, kind of remind us our, of, of the significance of it. But then there's another little book. Now, this is an, an older book, too. From it's, I think it was originally published in 1977 by a German scholar by the name of Martin Hingle. And I think it's only, oh, goodness, I think 90 pages long, maybe. It's a book called Crucifixion, and it's talking about crucifixion in the ancient context. And, and I always said that was a good one to read as well. Now, I, I'm going to tell you, if you pick that book up today, it is as dry as dust. I mean, all he, all he does <laughs> is he goes through all of the ancient evidence that we have for crucifixion. But as you, as you read these texts that we have available on, on what crucifixion significance was, uh, Josephus, as we mentioned before, uh, we mentioned Josephus before talks about it. And I'm going to give you a couple of quotations from Josephus a little bit later on, um, and if you look at the kind of the archaeological evidence we have for crucifixion, historical and archaeological evidence, uh, it, it just becomes very obvious what an incredible, uh, what an incredible, how do I want to say this? It, it gives you the, a weight, sense of the weight of what crucifixion was in the, in the Roman world and, and what a, uh, what a, a shame in a sense it brought upon the person who was crucified. And again, I think that's Mm -hmm. a a good thing for us to think about leading up to, um, uh, as we think about good Friday, as we think about the final week, you know, Palm Sunday and into uh, good Friday, even before I'll, I'll, I'll go into that. I'll mention it, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like I said, for us, it's seven days out of the calendar, right? Palm Sunday to, uh, to, um, uh, Easter Sunday. But the interesting thing is uh, even we had John Wedley on, um, I think it was last just week, be, you know, last week. And, uh, when, uh, John was talking about that, these are passion narratives with extended introductions, uh, somewhere around 50% of the material. And I know I've mentioned this before, but somewhere around 50% of the material we have in all four gospels focuses upon this one week in the life of Jesus. And, and mm. so, you know, there's, there's a lot of material to, to get through. Um, but again, I kind of want to just focus on the significance, not only of crucifixion, but I thought also burial. So we'll talk about crucifixion, burial this week, and then resurrection uh, next week okay. was kind of my idea. Uh, and we, okay. we maybe, have you ever heard a sermon, Ryan, where, where kind of you've, you've had very graphically described the, the death of Jesus, someone kind of describing the function of crucifixion? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I, I'm i sure I've heard it a couple times, right. you know, it became real popular yeah. when the Passion of the Christ yeah, came out, right. it was like, to kind of be, it was go, like this, go into very graphic detail. And, and that's yeah, not really, mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and say that's not really my purpose today. But my purpose is more to kind of talk about uh, not the, I don't want to say this, the biological uh, details of how crucifixion took place, but more just kind of the significance, what the Romans used it for and that kind of thing. That's kind of what I thought we would, we would okay. discuss and talk about. So, so the first thing I'll, I'll talk about, well, and, and 
<laughs> I just thought something else I need to say first. <laughs> One more thing. Uh, Classic. Yeah. The other thing I'll say is our we, we talk a lot about how we have to be careful th- that our perception of the biblical text and what the Bible actually says, how much it is influenced by by our own culture and by images mm. and this kind of thing. You know, I, I was thinking about this uh, in, in, in preparing for this. The crucifixion of Jesus has to be one of the most, I would say it's reproduced artworks in the world, mm. if you will. You know, in other words, that's not a good way to say it, but there, the number of artists who have painted paintings about uh, that, that have to do with the crucifixion of Jesus and uh, different artistic, even even crosses. You know, most churches have crosses mm-hmm. on them, and uh, I, I can remember a youth group. I always thought this was a pretty cool thing, but when uh, each of the youth became a member of that congregation, they would choose a cross, and they had a wall kind of on uh, one wall that had all different kinds of crosses on. And if you can imagine, you know, Celtic crosses, as we say, or, you know, different, different styles of crosses. So it, our, our understanding of the crucifixion is very strongly influenced by artwork, by movies. You mentioned the Passion of the Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, even before that, you, you think about some of the great uh, Jesus films uh, that that were out there were done by these incredible directors, and of course they they were very artistic in their in their approach to the crucifixion, the lighting, and you know all this kind of thing. And so all that's kind of influenced us, I think. Uh, even as a kid, I remember growing up, and there was a cross in the front of the uh, of the church that I I grew up in, and so every Sunday mm-hmm. that you know, so that's kind of my perception, and and, and the reason I say that is that when we look historically and even even archaeologically as much as we are able to we'll see sometimes those 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 arts those artists may have taken some liberties with the way that they've they presented this that's that's the only thing i want to say that to begin with so okay. so the first thing i'll say about crucifixion it was always very public uh, i think uh, again dr Whitley mentioned this when we had him on it was it was done uh, intentionally done in a way that people could see. And, and I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Uh, one is that what we believe to be the site of Jesus' crucifixion was outside the walls of the city. That's that's very clear uh, from the New Testament witness and, and from, again, ancient historical witness as well. They, it, it would not be something that would be done inside the city, but it was done, we believe, uh, on one of the major routes that you would take into the city. So near a gate, uh, as you as you would uh, make your way into the city of Jerusalem, and, and we can see this in, in the gospel accounts, it talks about those who were passing by would see Jesus and they would hurl insults at him and and uh, kind of mock him. So so the Romans intentionally made crucifixion a very public event uh, because they were they were trying to send a message. Uh, overall, I would say this that that crucifixion for the Romans was about control. It was about showing who was in charge. Uh, it was mm-hmm. about making clear that that um, you you can't get away with trying to uh, lead a rebellion. That, that was a time that crucifixions were used. Uh, it, it, you can't go against Roman authority. Uh, it was a way to not only it's not just doing away with a criminal. You, you see, what I'm saying right. and doing away with it, but it was also to send a to send a message to the entire 
nation. Uh, in our case, we're thinking about Judea, but even in other parts of the Roman Empire, they would they would crucify in order to kind of show that they are the ones who are in charge, and you'd better not challenge Rome. Uh, so yeah, and that's kind of in juxtaposition to how we as a nation, sure. you know, there's the capital punishment, yeah. where it's more of like trying to even give dignity to the person who's being right. executed. There's only a certain number of people that can see, and it's right. the way that we administer. But this was in yeah. the exact opposite, right. is we're punishing you, and we want everyone to Everybody see it. Everybody to know and it. everyone's going to—it's yeah. it's not just—they're going to know you're bad, and this is, this is why yeah. you're up there. So one of the ways I would describe is public humiliation. Really, it was to be a humiliating mm. thing. Um, you know, one of the, and this, this gets a little sensitive, I understand, but one of the, of course, art, artists always depict Jesus as kind of having this, uh, you know, cloth draped around his midsection, mm -hmm. you know, to obviously, uh, but, but very likely uh, victims of crucifixion would typically have been crucified uh, naked. Again, it's a sign mm -hmm. of, uh, of shame being brought upon them. Uh, you know, sign of their nakedness, of their of their vulnerability, uh, that they are they're um, you know well they're dying right, and 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 Rome is the one who's doing this. So, <clears throat> a couple of things that are <clears throat> a little bit more difficult than uh, uh, let me just say a couple of things that we sometimes maybe may have different, uh, and and I'll talk about some of the archaeology. Of course, we don't have a ton of archaeology about crucifixion uh, because the crosses were primarily made of wood. And uh, wood typically is not something that lasts. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's something that, first of all, it would often be reused. Now, in the case of a, of a cross, there probably would be a certain amount of stigma attached to it. But but uh, wood, you know, especially in Palestine, was a relatively um, uh, rare commodity, something that you would you would want to use. Uh, but then also it would it would rot if it were left you know out. it would it would not be maintained long term. So if you think about it, archaeologically, most of the things we find are stone or they you know they fossilized or uh, different things like this. this was this was a tool. this wasn't something to be kept around right. or cherished. It right. was a tool for punishment. Yeah. And that you know that people have talked about that. we kind of glorify the cross now and 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 I think rightfully so in the sense that we understand the significance of what happened on the cross. When we, again, when we talk about atonement, we understand mm -hmm. Christ dying on our behalf. So, but we, we make them very polished. We make them very, you know, like you'll see them in gold, you know, people wear them around their necks and uh, in the ancient world, that's not definitely not the way they would have been viewed, especially if you continue to live under Roman empire, the cross was not seen as something, uh, that was, um, uh, you know, something precious. It, it would have been quite the opposite. In fact, Paul even talked about this later on. Paul talks about this idea that it's a scandal, right? This, this idea that, uh, that Jesus was crucified as a criminal. And, and this would be something that, that people would point to and say, how, you know, how could this be, um, you know, someone you're now worshiping or someone you're now pointing to as the giver of life, uh, is this crucified criminal. So first century Palestinians probably weren't carrying around little no, wooden crosses in their pockets. Not. <laughs> definitely not. And that's, you know, again, if you think about them at the front of the church and again, you know, I'm not criticizing that there's, there's, there's a place right, for that. And right. it, it focuses our attention on this. Again, we have to think about the significance, but it, yeah, the first right. century, you know, some people have, I've heard people say that be like us wearing an electric chair around our necks or something like that. And, not exactly, but again, it was a symbol of Roman oppression, and and so no, I don't think they would have glorified it. 
other than again focusing on that it is it is through crucifixion through Jesus death on the cross um, that we have um, you know the the way to God it, it, and yeah. yeah, the cross represented the the doorway that Jesus had opened. Yeah, this, and it wasn't glorifying the cross itself, right, but the right. the doorway that that Christ had opened. The other thing I, I think, just in terms of thinking about the cross, what we believe from descriptions. Uh, again, this is an art. I think an artistic choice that we've kind of gotten used to. I think most crosses in the ancient world would have not been as tall as they're typically depicted, even in Easter mm. pageants or that kind of thing. They were very utilitarian. And, and think about how difficult it would be to get a uh, hoist someone up, right? Someone up in into a to a yeah to a high position. Uh, it would be a very difficult thing. And so, uh, so I think that. Um, uh, the, um, hold on a second. Sorry. <laughs> Just got distra- distracted by something. Um, it's all right. the, uh, um, to, um, the height of the cross. Yeah, the height, the height of the cross. To try to get someone into that into that high position would have been very difficult. These were utilitarian. So typically, what would happen? Here's the other thing that's described. So, so you, you tell me. You, you've you've sat through lots of uh, Good Friday services and maybe a couple of Easter pageants or two, uh, or three maybe. But uh, yeah. So so Jesus, we know that he was he was scourged. Uh, he was he was beaten. He was whipped. He was mocked. Uh, the mocking centered on him being called king, uh, which is really mm-hmm. what he's being crucified for. Again, in Rome, you didn't declare yourself a king. You didn't have followers declare yourself a king, or you would be considered an usurper, a revolutionary. You know, somebody who's trying mm-hmm. to come in and upset the Roman authority. And so that and you, Rome doesn't like that, right? You remember they put a, a robe of purple on him. They put a crown of thorns on him and mocked him and this kind of thing. And then he begins to go to. Um, uh, Golgotha, and uh, we have this detail that they find someone in the crowd. Do you remember uh, his name is uh, Simon Cyrene? Simon. Mm-hmm. And uh, they find him and have him do what? What do they have him do? Uh, uh, carry the cross. Carry the for cross Jesus. for Jesus. Now, the way that's often depicted again in in Easter pageants, wherever you know Jesus stumbles, uh, there's a lot of tradition within within uh, Roman Catholicism about that stumbling. And uh, if you go to Jerusalem today, there's a place where supposedly he stumbled and put his hand out and this kind of thing. But but uh, that uh, then we have the whole cross basically being carried by Simon Cyrene. Uh, 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 probably what would happen is is they probably left what they call the uprights or the stipes in in place where the crucifixion would take place, and what's being carried is just the cross beam. That's one thing that is that is sometimes uh, you know depicted in a different way. So what Simon's probably carrying is just the the cross beam that that uh, Jesus would have been affixed to, and uh, then. Uh, we, we see them taken to this place that's called Golgotha, which uh, uh, we're told in Aramaic is the place of the skull. And I'll come mm-hmm. back to that probably when we get more to the burial, but we think it's because it would, there, there's two different possibilities. It, it could be that it was in the shape of a skull. In other words, you looked at this hill or this, this um, uh, cliff and it would have looked like a skull. And there's good reason to think that that's a possibility. Um, or the other possibility could be uh, that 
crucifixion victims, it is thought, were were seldom buried, were usually not buried. And so mm. you would imagine this being a place where human remains might have been around. So some people think it's a place of the skull because there would be uh, human bones there, like like the skull and that, that kind of thing. Um, but we can come back to that in, in, in a, a little bit later. Um, so most of these were probably shorter again. It wasn't these tall, um, you know, very elaborate kind of things. It would probably have been a short, basically just tall enough to do the job, which is just to lift someone off the ground high enough that they couldn't, um, you know, put their feet feet down down, basically. And so, uh, and even the way that sometimes they were crucified, it'd even be shorter than that, but it was probably not a tall thing. The other kind of question there's a controversy about this is uh, there's some evidence that um, if you can imagine a, a capital t as opposed to a, a lowercase t um, mm. so a cross we typically think of in the shape of a lowercase t but there's some evidence that at least some crosses in rome were were capital t if you can imagine that the crossbar mm-hmm. then and again you can it, you know utilitarian wise it's just much easier to attach uh, to the top then you you know kind of halfway up to right. tie it or or however it was it was done there uh, so some people think that it would have been kind of a capital t now <clears throat> but go ahead now how would they have put the the sign that's exactly that's that's usually the question that then's, that this that, that then's answered so uh, we know that pilot does this to kind of twerk twerk the uh, Jewish authorities a little bit to kind of tweak tweak them in the nose a little bit and, and make fun of them, but he affixes a sign that says "King of the Jews," right? Mm-hmm. And it says it's in it's in three languages that this is said: Greek, Latin, and uh, and Aramaic or Hebrew. And uh, uh, it's it's affixed to the cross. Now, there's one of the gospel writers. There's only one. Luke is the only one who tells us that it was affixed above him or, or over him. And so some people mm-hmm. think, well, that, that necessitates, there has to be that, that lowercase lower t. Case. And it could be, that could be the other thing. It could be that if he's, if you imagine uh, someone being crucified and hanging down, there could have been room on that capital T to affix that above their head, depending on how low gotcha. they are hanging on the cross. His arms would have been above his right, head as right. he kind of slushed down in that. So okay. again, I'm not, I'm not going to go to bat, bat on that. And here's, here, I probably should have said this earlier, and I'm going to give you a quote from Josephus here that I think is, is pretty interesting. Um, I, I guess, let me give you both these quotes from, from Josephus, but the Romans, what is clear to me after reading, when you read all the texts that are available in the ancient world about crucifixion, we don't have a ton, but we have a significant number. When you read all of them and you think about them together, it's clear that the Romans, the, the actual mechanical part of crucifixion took place in a number of different ways. And I'm going to read you a section in, in, in a little bit that just that, sh- that proves that, basically shows that. Um, so, what was important to them again that this was a public display that it was done in a way to bring shame uh, and you know to maximize the how to say this the the um, oh humility that was humiliation I guess would be a better way to say it uh, this being brought upon this person. That that's pretty much common, but there were a variety of different ways that they they did it. Let let me uh, read two different things. So so this first one, this is from uh, Josephus, and this is from uh, 
part of his writing that's called Antiquities of the Jews. And he's talking about a period of time that we've talked about before, the intertestamental period. So that period, it's, it's broadly the second temple period from the building of the second temple up through the time of the uh, destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Um, and this is and Josephus is a historian. Jewish Josephus historian. is a Jewish historian. He's called Flavius Josephus because he's trying to explain to the Flavian dynasty, and the Flavians are Romans. He's trying to basically defend, in a sense, the Jewish people to the Romans, make them understandable. Uh, you know, try because you know the Jews are his own people, but he's also kind of paid by the Romans, so he's trying to kind of make this understandable. He's kind of trying to ride the fence and help help <laughs> right. the Romans understand right. the Jews. Right. So he's talking about the intertestamental period, and he's talking about a time. We, we've talked about the Maccabees before, and the Maccabees mm-hmm. came in as, as revolutionaries, and the, the oppressors at that time were people called the Syrians. This is before this is before the um, the Romans had come in. The Syrians were oppressing the people. Uh, they were they were uh, forcing the worship of false gods. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. We talked about that whole thing. Yeah. So the yeah, there you go. You got it. So the Maccabees yeah. come in and they they have this revolution. Now here's the the really sad thing about this is and and actually again I, I've said before it helps us understand John ten I think uh, when Jesus says I am the good shepherd like all these other leaders who come before me because the Maccabees were the heroes of the people I've mentioned that the the, the disciples most of the disciples were named after them Simon Kirini or Simon Cyrene that we just mentioned that carried the cross probably named after a Maccabean king uh, something like ninety percent of the young boys in in Palestine during his spare time were named after one of the Maccabees so they were the heroes of the people but within two generations, they had themselves become oppressors of the people. Uh, so mm. uh, one of the sons of one of the uh, the um, uh, Maccabee, original, the, the Hasmonean family, the original Maccabees that led the revolution was a guy named John Hyrcanus, and his son was a guy named Alexander Janaeus. So kind of interesting, by the second generation, you've got a uh, you know, this, this Jewish King who's named after a Greek, right. Named Alexander Mm -hmm. and, uh, Alexander, you find people who are then beginning to rebel against him, people in, in Judea who are rebelling against him for the very reasons that his family had led a rebellion, uh, because they're saying we are the true people of God and we are the ones who really try to do things right. And so he, there's a rebellion that's led against him and he has to flee for a period of time. Well, his forces eventually take over and then he, when he comes down uh, back into into the area and is able to take over again, uh, he goes to the city. Beth, Bethom is the city. And it says he besieged them therein. This is where the rebellion had kind of taken place and kind of started. When he had taken the city and gotten the men into his power, he brought them to Jerusalem. Now, this goes along with what we said earlier. Crucifixion wasn't just a matter of getting rid of these people. He wanted to make an example of them. So he didn't kill them. Yeah, he could he could yeah, he could have run them through with a sword right then and there. But it was too too remote, right? So instead, what he did, he brought them into Jerusalem. Now, here's the really amazing thing. This isn't a Roman doing this. This is this is a Jewish king, okay, a Maccabean king who who crucifies eight hundred of his own countrymen in one day. And and furthermore, here's part of the humiliation of it. While they are on the cross and while they're still alive, he brings his his children their children and their wives and has them 
killed in front of them uh, in, in order to, to to show that. So that's that's when I was talking earlier about that it was really kind of a vindictive kind of revenge, you know, this kind of thing. That's that's an example of that. Just a horrible example yeah. of that. Here's the other thing I wanted to share from Josephus. This is from a different book uh, of his. And by the way, that was. Uh, uh, if you want to read it, it's you can find it in Book Thirteen of Antiquities. So that's that's the Antiquities of the Jews, Book Thirteen, <laughs> well, Chapter Fourteen. Well, 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 there's some links in the show notes. Yeah, no, yeah, no can, I'm not. I'm you not. Can, you can check me out. I'm, make sure I'm not making this stuff up. You know. <laughs> so there's another book that Book Thirteen. What page? What page though? <laughs> Depends on the edition. There's another. Um, there's another uh, book that Josephus wrote. He wrote four four overall. Uh, this one is called The Wars of the Jews, and it's talking about the Jewish rebellion. And again, remember, he's writing for Romans, kind of trying to explain this. And so there's lots of, there's too much work, too much scholarship that's been done on Josephus. I can't go into it here, but but he's he's yeah. really trying to, it's called apologetic history, we think. He's trying to... Um, help explain his his countrymen to 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 the romans and he's talking about when titus and vespasian came this is a later period of time than the time of jesus when they destroyed rome um and and, and that re revolution was taking place uh when they were trying to to take over um, and here's what I was talking about. The Romans crucified it in a number of different ways. And when I read this the first time, it really helped me understand this. Uh, here's what it says. And so, you know, Titus would catch 500 of them every day. Sometimes he would catch more. This is Josephus again talking about this period of time. And by the way, this is something that Josephus was an eyewitness to because he was, he was alive during his period of time. In fact, he was a revolutionary. And... Uh, he, uh, he says he did this uh, again in order to, uh, <clears throat> he was doing these things in order to, to make an example of these Jews. But then it says the soldiers out of their wrath. So <laughs> the Roman soldiers had gotten so mad about these rebels and the, the length of time they had made them there out of the wrath and hatred. They bore the Jews. They nailed those who were caught one after the one after one way and one after another and another to the crosses by way of jest. So in other words, in order to make fun of them, again, you see the humiliation they're bringing on them, but they're so mad at them, they're nailing them all kinds of different ways to the crosses. So they're using all kinds of different, you know, maybe upside down, maybe, you know, different figures and this kind of thing. We have another description of this in another place. Uh, and it says when they're, and this, this is the part that's often quoted, when their multitude was so great, the room was wanting for the crosses and the crosses were wanting for the bodies. So, you know, there was not even room Oof. for all the people who were being crucified. And often, as I said, their bodies were just left on the cross, uh, and crosses and, uh, you know, wild animals would come and, you know, whatever, and the, their bodies would just decay and eventually fall off the cross was, was the way that the Romans did that. But so the moral of the story is don't surrender. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, don't just fight it yeah, out. Don't get, don't, don't get it to the Romans. So, um, yeah. So there were a variety of different ways that people were crucified. So, you know, every year this time you'll have time magazine or, or whatever. Uh, in fact, when I was a student, John Wedley always called this the biannual nod to God that, you know, all the major news magazines and everything would kind of, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to make you do a spit take there, but, but they would do the biannual nod, nod to God, to God. They, you know, they'll yeah. do an, you know, 
crucifixion of Jesus and everything. And and so archaeologically, I've mentioned this before in 1968. Until then, let me let me go back and say this. Until then, there were some who argued that body Jesus' body would have been left on the cross. That the detail of him being buried, which we're going to get into in just a minute, the detail of him being buried was ahistorical because they would say crucified people would not were not buried. And I would say typically that was true. But we have mm-hmm. at least two examples now archaeologically of people who were crucified who've been buried. And the first one was pretty significant. 1968, right after the uh, Seven Days War um, in a section of Jerusalem, and we mentioned this again in a, one of our archaeology episodes, in an area, a neighborhood called Givat HaMivtar, um, there was, as they were fixing the damage from the war, so this is afterwards, they're, they're you know fixing the houses and so forth, they discovered the entrance to a cave in Jerusalem. And of course, Jerusalem is one of these cities that has been built on one, you know, one layer after the other, after the other, mm-hmm. we talked about that before. Um, and this cave ends up that it was a series of tombs, not just one tomb, but it was a series of interconnected tombs. And they found a total of, of dozens of bodies. Uh, and we're going to talk about how burial customs took place, but in these bone boxes called ossuaries. We'll come back and talk about that more a little bit later. They found dozens of these things. And one of them they found uh, was a a man, a a man of his uh, 30s or so. Uh, He would have been uh, probably a revolutionary. Okay, because this is it would fit time wise with this. This is probably around 8070 is what we think uh, when he would have been buried here. And the significant thing about him is that there was an iron nail still in his ankle bone. Now, um, so here is an example of what we think was a crucified man. We think we think it because of the, the, the iron nail in his in his heel uh, or his ankle um, and. Uh, he was buried. You know, clearly his family went through the procedures of burial again, which we'll talk about later. Now we have since, and, and this is just uh, was just published in 2019, but uh, wasn't discovered until 2006. In North Italy, in the Po River Valley, there was another crucified man. Now we had the, his ankle did not have um, uh, his heel did not have uh, a nail still in it, but the hole in his uh, calcineum his his heel bone was consistent with a nail being driven in and in fact when they did microscopic study you know from 68 1968 to 2006 our <laughs> our technology is much better they can determine that there was a nail they think that was driven in uh to through his through his heel bone now all kinds of things I want to say here. Let's make sure I can get see if I can get them in order. But one of the things that people will will talk about, uh, the, the the man's name was Yehohanan, uh, Yehohanan probably in in uh, the man who was found in Jerusalem in Havat Givat Hamivtar, and so uh, his the the nail was driven in from the uh, lateral to the to the medial so in other words it was driven in from the outside of his ankle into the Mm. wood and so this caused people to think well crucifixion probably didn't take place then the way it's often depicted with jesus if it's through his ankle and and kind of from the outside in then one of two things has been proposed either his legs kind of were straddling 
um, each side of the cross and his his ankles, if you can imagine, were were nailed in from the from from the right and the left. Or some people think that he may have been like his legs, if you can kind of imagine side saddle, so to speak. His legs kind of uh, knees kind of turned to one side, and his his ankles placed one over the other, and the nail driven through, or two nails used to drive through. It's probably not a long enough nail to go through both of his ankles. Um, and so that's that's another way some people think that this may be the case. And so you'll sometimes see this in magazines. Well, the crucifixion of Jesus didn't take place the way we, we imagine. We have this archaeologically. Again, I would remind you that even on the, the same day, according to Josephus at least, Romans would sometimes crucify in a number of different positions. Uh, we, we have from church history. Now, this is not necessarily, you know, we have to take this somewhat with a grain of salt. But from church history, uh, we are told that that um, uh, Peter was crucified upside down, for example. Uh, I mentioned the capital T and the small t. Sometimes crosses uh, were, they think, literally crosses like X's, like um uh, hmm. capital X's and people would be crucified in that way. So, so the big thing I want you to keep in mind is anytime somebody says, well, this is the way Jesus was crucified. Well, there were a number of different ways that crucifixion could take place. And all we can go by are the, are the very, and if you, if you think about it, 50% of the gospel narratives deal with this, but they don't really say too much about the crucifixion other than that he was crucified because most people mm-hmm. in, in the original readers that would have immediately evoked something they would have understood. Yeah, I think it, it so what do you think about, you know, when we talk in Hebrew or, you know, no bones of his are broken sure. to fulfill the, the prophecy, right. you know, so how do we, how should we think of this? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to sure. put on what the scripture says, but as like, is a hole in the ankle breaking his bones, you know, like, <laughs> right. well, you know, I mean, I think that's, yeah, that's I the thing it. that kind of pops in my mind. Well, John, you know, only, only gospel writer that mentions that's John. And he mentions it in, in chapter 19, um, 30, 35 through 37 or so, I think. And, um, you know, his big thing is talking about, there's another practice. I really wasn't planning on talking about this. I've written about this a lot, but it's, it's a thing. It's a practice called cruifragium, the, the, uh, breaking of the cruris, which is the, uh, the, um, what we call the, um, uh, what do we call that? The big bone of the thigh, um, uh, femur. Femur. Yeah. Thanks. The cur, the, 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 the Latin name for that is cruris. And so, um, so they would break the legs on the cross and <laughs> believe it or not, I just, just, I don't, I've, I don't, I don't write very, I used to write articles and, and that kind of thing. I don't do that much anymore, but I was asked to write just last year, a thing about this that's going to be published in, in some book someplace. Um, <laughs> you don't even know where it's going. Well, it's, yeah, it's, just, it's a volume of, um, I can't remember the name of it. It's, it's a volume in the. In but the, what's the Latin name for femur? You remember that, for, Chris? Um, it's it, Jesus, uh, Jesus, John, and history. There's a there's a series of books, and I've got another article in there. But anyway, they, I was at, I did a paper years ago, and so they finally got around to putting a book together out of that. And so they asked me to do that, and I'm really out of practice at it. But it, but anyway, so if you want, there's two different articles I've written on the breaking of the legs. I don't want to spend a ton of time on that, but it's a it's a detail the way they would spe- speed up um, the the death of Jesus. And again, I'm going to tell you this: be careful. You're going to hear, you know, if you're if you're preaching on this, or if you hear somebody preaching on this, uh, we're not even sure exactly how. <laughs> if you read some commentaries, they will give you details 
that I could find no reason for in the ancient record. Mm. Okay. Um, and, and what it seems to be is that it's repeated from one commentary to the other. And, and so all I'm saying is just be careful about that. If you're, if you're, if you're preaching, um, uh, or, or teaching this, um, my, my point is just don't, we, we can't have as much certainty exactly. So what you'll hear often is that it is the reason for the speeding of death, uh, was, was from asphyxiation, uh, and there was a medical doctor who did a study on this several years ago. And uh, it, I mean, you can read all about it if you want, but there's been there's two, two, two different medical doctors that have studied this in, pretty in depth uh, to the point of doing trials where they they didn't crucify someone, but they tied them up um, mm. uh, in the shape of a cross and, and checked on their their oxygen levels and all this kind of stuff. And so there's, you know, it, there's lots, lots to think about with, with all of this. It's, it's very hard to have too much exact certainty. And again, I don't know that that's the primary point, right? Uh, the, mm -hmm. the gospel writers, as I always say, the gospel writers could have given us that description if they'd wanted to. Uh, and and mm -hmm. if we believe that these are inspired by the Holy Spirit, then God could have inspired them to give us these details. But, um, we don't necessarily have them. All we know is that this, what, so I guess what I'm starting to say, culturally and archaeologically, what we learn is that this would have been um, a, humil a point of humiliation. It would have been done in a public way. You know, those are the things that I think that can add to our understanding of what's happening. Uh, but to say that it's exactly this way and that's, that's what's happening. Um, they try to explain the, below of flood, uh, the flow of blood and water. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, when the spear, again, only in John, do we have this detail that, that a Roman soldier pierces his side, uh, with a spear and there's a flow of blood and water. And, uh, uh I think it has as much to do to go back to, to some of Jesus statements and for John to say, look, this is exactly what happened. It happened exactly the way he said, but anyway, I don't want to go, yeah. I don't want to go too far into that, but. Uh, but, but, the, go ahead. but the important thing for us out of, out of this is to picture that, like he was crucified yes. and what that meant. Absolutely. And, you know, we oftentimes, you know, we do this a lot with scriptures. We're kind of, we're taking it from like, we need to know like specific details, right. like, like they were writing this as we would write a historical document right. today. And that's not the point right. necessarily yeah. of what they're writing. They're writing to talk about yeah. the crucifixion and what sure. that meant, yeah. uh, but not about the, what things we might be fixated on. Like, I, well, where exactly were the nails I, or were his feet I, on I the side or in the front? I think that's right. And again, for some there, there's a reason for some Christians that seems to be a bigger deal than, than for others. But, um, you know, and I, I don't necessarily want to go into all that. Okay. Let, okay let's okay, talk okay. about nails themselves because this is, this is actually <laughs> controversy. Um, is there are some you'll see who say that nails typically were not used in crucifixion at all. And, uh, really nails it, it there again, if you, if you've seen the passion of Christ or any other, uh, the driving of the nails into his hands and feet is a big deal, right? It's a, usually a big dramatic mm -hmm. part of the whole story. And um, we don't even have that uh, in, in the gospels. What we do have though, in the gospel of John is a reference to nail prints. He says to, to Thomas mm -hmm. in chapter 20, for example, uh, you know, thrust your fingers in, in the nail prints in my hand and the nail prints in my feet, right? So mm -hmm. John it seems to suggest that nails were used in the crucifixion. Ropes ropes could be used. Ropes were sometimes, we know 
we know historically from descriptions, ropes were sometimes used. In other words, people were hung on the cross uh, with with means of rope uh, instead of instead of nails. Uh, part of the reason for this is nails. And, and, and I, I could tell you more about this than you care to know, but nails were, uh, uh, the iron was very valuable. And there's even one really interesting uh, comment made in an ancient writer that some people thought the nails used by crucifixion could be used in certain kinds of magical formulas. And so uh, mm. so a lot of times those were, were uh, the, the nails were certainly reused. So that's why we think that you, we don't have very many examples of, uh, you know, people that we found nails in their heel. The reason that we found it in the heel of the Givat HaMivtar man is that um, – the end of the nail they couldn't get it out. They couldn't, they couldn't, it seems to have curved. Uh, they think it hit a knot maybe in the wood and, and the nail curved up. And so they couldn't get it out of his, out of his ankle bone. And so that's the reason that, that, cause the other, the other ankles, it was gone, but they would reuse these nails again. Iron was very valuable. And so, so that's part of it. As well, well, I have to tell you, Brian, What's that? It's a gross story. It it really is, and and it's it's uh, you know, and again, it it shows us. And I'm not trying to minimize the degree of the suffering that Jesus uh, had on the cross. That's not at all my purpose, but um, you know, sometimes to focus on that to the exclusion again of the significance of of this idea that he died mm-hmm. on our behalf is for me at least. Uh, you know, at least a significant, I suppose I would say. So, um, so nails would often be salvaged, you know, and reused, like I said, or like I said, some people apparently were trying to find them to be used for other, other purposes. So any, before we get to burial, then any question, other questions on crucifixion or just, and again, we're thinking just kind of broadly culturally and archeologically crucifixion in the No, I, I think that the thing that you said that really stuck out to me and I had not read, uh, Josephus, the Jewish antiquities. Right. I, I've read the Jewish war, Jewish but the, the, but how they had, um, or the Jewish war, um, how they had done that to themselves, that the Jews had done this yeah. even before the Romans really brought it on to them. It was back during that some of that Greek time. It reminded me a little bit, this is a side tangent, but like we talked about with... Uh, Oh, uh, Dr. Knight, yeah, Michelle. Dr. Michelle Knight. She talked about like in Judges, yeah. we didn't have to worry about the Romans just yeah. doing it to, you know, like it our was, we people. did it to ourselves, yeah. our own people. Yeah. So here we have another instance of this, of yeah. people being, you know, not following God, crucifying their own people. Yeah. And then, oh, guess what? Now the Romans, you know, I don't know who, I don't know who did it first or who adopted right. the practice first, but right. um, that, that it's, that it was even, they were doing it to themselves. Well, and that's, in, you know, that's again, when you think about when Jesus says, I'm a different kind of king. And that was what really Dr. Knight was pointing to as well, that, you know, Jesus is coming to be a different kind of ruler, different kind of leader. And he's saying, even these Maccabees, and he, and by the way, he's he's doing this, uh, he's making the statement during the, the Feast of Dedication, what we call Hanukkah, Hanukkah. which is a time where you celebrate the, uh, the Maccabean, kings mm-hmm. and he says all who came before me are thieves and robbers and i am the good yeah. shepherd i am the one who will lay down my life for the flock and so here's a difference is that the the maccabean kings uh, even within a generation or two were not on behalf of the people they were doing things for them selfishly for themselves and they, be- so, they became the oppressors themselves right 
they liberated them yes, and became the oppressors. Exactly. They became the new oppressors. Exactly. And so Jesus. And they were kinsmen. Jesus says, I'm not that kind of king. Right. Yeah. Very cool. We'll do. We'll do. Have we ever done John 10? We should do John 10 sometime. I think we've done okay. John 10. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. We'll figure it out. Okay. All right, so we've we've done crucifixion. I think I think that that was great stuff to think about crucifixion and that, again, not getting lost in the details. Right. You know, John talks about the with the touching the the, the Jesus talks about touching my hands and my yeah. and my feet, um, but the, the the main point out of all of this is the crucifixion right. and what that culturally meant yep. about Jesus on the cross and what it meant to the people that saw yep. this. I think that's right. So. Um, so let's talk about burial just a little bit. Uh, I, I've already mentioned this a little bit. It was it's somewhat unusual to to bury a crucifixion victim, but we have at least two examples of this now uh, with the 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 man I mentioned earlier, Jehohanan. It's often mentioned, or uh, the Givat HaMivtar man. I sometimes will call him that. That he was buried clearly after this. Uh, and then the other, the man who was found in Italy, and again, he was a man, a middle-aged man uh, found in Italy who had been crucified, was buried in the ground, which is a little bit different. Again, Yehohanan um, uh, was found in an ossuary. His bones were found in an ossuary. This was a skeleton that was found in the ground as they were, uh, I think, it was laying a trail uh, uh, uh train tracks or something. I can't remember. They accidentally, you know, most archaeology is accidental. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, uh, so there's at least two examples. In fact, the only two um, skeletons that we have that show signs of crucifixion, both were buried now. So, so at least two. Um, now the right. the burial in in Italy seems to be a little bit different. Uh, Yehohanan was buried in a family tomb, so it seems like he was cared for in the same way that Jesus' body was cared for after his crucifixion. We'll get into that in, mm-hmm. in a little bit. But um, the man in Italy, they think he probably was was buried in the wilderness kind of as a, as a way of further, and, and there's examples of this. In, Casting in, him out. Basically, yeah, he's he's an outsider. He's, yeah, we're going to bury him out in the wilderness in, in, in the dirt, and and that's, that's kind of the way it is. In Jerusalem, often, as I mentioned, there were these caves that were used, and, and they weren't te- technically um, uh, naturally occurring caves. These were in Jerusalem, mostly places that were f- former quarries. Um, it's interesting geographically, or geologically, I guess I should say, there are two different kinds of limestone uh, that make up the hills in, in Judea. There's a softer, mm-hmm. crumbly kind of limestone that's not good for building, and there's a harder limestone that most of the of the houses and the significant buildings like the temple would have been would have been built with. So what happens is the, these are in layers. So they would go in, the, the people who are quarrying these for use in building would go in and they would cut out a layer of the harder limestone, if you can kind of imagine, in pockets. And they would leave behind this kind of crumbly limestone around it. Now, those mm-hmm. where they would go in and cut these out, they would they would kind of make them into into the shape of a, a circle or a semicircle, if you can imagine. And um, they they made perfect tombs then. And so we have more than one example of uh, these places. Uh, that were used as cemeteries that had been former quarries because they, they'd hollow these out. So what would often be done is there would be these rock 
uh, cut, if you can imagine, chambers. And then there mm-hmm. would be in the side of these kind of alcoves that would be carved in. And, and there were these ossuaries that would be placed in there. Often there was also a platform or two that would fit a full-size body. Kind of mm-hmm. imagine a operating table or something like that, but carved out of the stone, the actual stone okay. there. Now, I mentioned Golgotha earlier. Um, so if this was one of those places, you can kind of imagine how when you have these pockets carved out and then the crumbling around it, these there are more than one example of where this looks like a skull, kind of the eye sockets and, and the mm-hmm. mouth, if you can kind of imagine that, altogether. Yeah. And that's why we think that this, this is probably where Golgotha got its name, the place of the skull. Uh, but, but beside that then, um, what they would do, the burial custom, there's what's called, of course, we, we have a way of burying and we, we, again, this is culturally where we think about, we think about a cemetery, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we've all been to a graveside service and, and we kind of think about a burial in those terms. But if you go all over the world in different places, even today, people bury Treat, treat bodies differently. They, 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 you know, eat in respect, but they, they treat them body, uh, bodies differently. This is, this is a part of our cultural customs. And again, this is a perfect example where we tend to think of it in this way. But we know that Jesus' body was laid in one of these kind of family tombs. Uh, there was what's called, uh, and I'm just talking about the custom in general at the time now. So there's what's okay. called a primary burial, which is when the body would be placed on on this kind of carved the slab, slab right if you want to think of it that way um, they would be wrapped often it would it would begin that way they'd be wrapped they would be anointed with spices uh, and we have a couple of examples of this talked about in scripture and what those spices would do is they would help the um, process so that it would there wouldn't be putrefaction basically it was more a way of kind of preserving the body uh, not not preserving in the sense that it would it would be maintained but to keep it from smelling to keep it from mm-hmm. you know uh, kind of putrefying in a in a nasty yeah. kind of way um, and then there's the secondary burial would happen typically a year later uh, morning by the way for your family would usually be a week long uh, unless, um, and this is from a later writing, that that uh, parents, you're supposed to mourn for an entire year was the idea. When your mom or dad died, you mourned for a year. But we have an example of this in John chapter 11, you might remember, when we have uh, even after uh, Lazarus had been dead for four days, they were still mourning, right? And uh, yep. uh, his sister went out to the tomb, and they're that was a normal thing. They were just assuming she was going there to cry, to, to wail. Uh, the community would come together and, and it was usually a week long, um, a morning period that they, they would go through for like a brother, for example. Uh, so, so after that year though, after the first year, there's what's called a secondary burial and the family again would be involved in this typically where they would go and they would gather together the bones so at this point, typically the body had broken down to the point that it was a, it was more skeletal remains, and they would gather those bones and they would put them in either a wooden or stone box. And again, what we have what we have are stone boxes because that's what survived. Um, but mm-hmm. they were called ossuaries, and and it, what you got to imagine is kind of just a square, well, a rectangular box uh, with kind of a carved. Um, 
lid and there's there's depending on your status in society they, they could be very fancy or very plain and we have hundreds of examples if you ever visit the holy land you probably saw some of these when you were there uh, there's mm-hmm. hundreds of these around in different places that these these um, bone boxes were found and basically they're just long enough the femur is the longest bone in the human body and they're long enough to fit the femurs in and and they they put the bodies in there often there would be an inscription uh, maybe the name or family relationship. Uh, so that's how we know Yehohanan's name and his father's name is inscribed there as well. Uh, the interesting thing there is um, his was not the only, and this is pretty pretty common too, his was not the only bo- a body in that ossuary. Uh, but sometimes one ossuary would be used for multiple bodies. And there's the, also the skeleton in... Um, Yehohanan, the Givat HaMivtar man, there's also the skeleton of a three or four year old child uh, that was in mm. the box with him. So probably some kind of relation. Um, mm. And uh, especially for a child, you wouldn't necessarily have their own ossuary, but they would they would use a family member's ossuary. Uh, but these bone boxes then would be placed in these alcoves that you can kind of imagine carved into the sides of these chambers. So eventually you'd have kind of a whole family there together, if you will. Now there's a couple of details that are very important important here in the gospels one of them is in matthew 27 uh, okay go ahead and read matthew i think you've got this for us 57 through 61 matthew 27 57 to 61 yeah uh, as evening approached there came a rich man from arimathea named joseph who had himself become a disciple of jesus going to pilate he asked for jesus's body and pilate ordered that it be given to him joseph took the body wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Several important things here. One is Joseph Arimathea is a very uh, significant man, wealthy man. Uh, One of the reasons that we think crucifixion uh, victims were not frequently buried is... uh, you would have had to identify with this person who was just killed as a criminal. And so Joseph of Arimathea, though, is willing to do that. He goes and gets the body, but he says he lays him in a new tomb and one that has just, just been cut. So you see the significance of new tomb there is in other words, it had never been used before. Uh, there's no, there were no ossuaries, no ossuaries in, the wall. in there. There's no other bodies in there. And, and this is the significance of this, of course, is when the resurrection takes place, it's going to be very clear that there is no body there. Then when they go in, when Peter and John go in and look, when the women go to see the tomb, uh, nobody is there. Uh, it mentions um, a, a stone being rolled across the entrance. And this is a common de- detail. This isn't an unusual thing at all. Uh, the reason for that is I mentioned wild animals earlier, jackals and so forth that are that are uh, prevalent throughout that area uh, could uh, you know go and disrupt a body. And, and that would be a disgraceful thing. And you didn't want that to happen to a family member. And so these stones, that's why they would be placed across that. Now, what's uh, significant is Pilate, if you look a little bit later there in Matthew 27, down to about 65 or so, uh, not mm-hmm. only was that stone laid across there, but then people came and reminded him, well, you know, this guy said he was going to raise from the dead. So Pilate actually put a seal on the stone. The stone stone was not something that Pilate ordered. Uh, the stone was just a part of the whole complex, but he put his seal on there to make sure that uh, no one came to kind of disturb it, uh, so to speak, is, is, is kind of the idea. And then you'll remember that the women came. Uh, it says that they waited past the Sabbath. Oh, the, the last thing I was going to say on that passage you just read, uh, it said that, that 
uh, Mary and um, the other Mary knew where it was. They were they were watching, so there was no mistaking the tomb. Uh, at least two of the gospel writers, I think Matthew and Mark, both make it make a big deal out. They knew where he was being laid. Maybe Luke as well. I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but but they make it make a point that they knew where the tomb was, and they they would have they would have paid attention to this. So then they come back on the first day of the week after the Sabbath is over. They wait till the Sabbath's over. They come back on the first day of the week in order to uh, uh, anoint his body. Although Luke, or I'm sorry, John tells us that Nicodemus uh, already brought spices to do this. Uh, So look at chapter Mm -hmm. 19 of the gospel of John verses 39 and 40. Uh, I think you've got that there. Yeah. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus's body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. So this is, uh, he here is Joseph of Arimathea that you mentioned earlier. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was mentioned back in John chapter 3, you'll remember. He was also mm-hmm. mentioned in chapter 11, wherever it is, where they're talking about what should we do about this? And they said, oh, are you his disciple too? And so, again, he was kind of a secret disciple. Uh, but here he he helps Joseph Arimathea with his burial. Now, here's another controversial thing. You, you know, the translator said 75 pounds. The 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 word that's used is basically a hundredweight. Um, uh, and, and the idea is uh, a Roman pound is a little bit less than, a, than an English pound. Um, mm-hmm. and so 75 pounds is a hundred, hundred Roman pounds, 75, uh, of our pounds. Um, but that's an extraordinary amount of spices. I was going to say that's an intense amount yeah, of t- so uh, t- spice. Typical, typical amounts, uh, would be maybe five pounds or a little bit more is, is the spices that would be used in order to anoint a body. So now this is significant in a number of ways. First, I mean, just the transport of that. And some people say, well, this can't be historical detail because how is he going to carry, you know, imagine, you know, 75 pounds being carried. Body. But but we're probably, we're talking about two wealthy and powerful individuals. So, you know, they had plenty of servants that could have brought it. Some people say it's just a ridiculous amount to, to put on a body. I think the the primary thing here is to think about the oh and then there's the cost. <laughs> mm-hmm. You might remember just a few days before this, according to John, um, that uh, we had Mary who who um, uh, uh, anointed Jesus' feet, and and they talked then about what an extravagant thing this was. Well, this is we're talking about many times more. Uh, some people have tried to estimate the amount of spices would have probably been uh, a year's wage or more. You know, we're talking about a significant mm-hmm. amount. Uh, and so, or $300,000 or th- I'm sorry, $30,000, something like that. Yeah, I know. I, I always get my zeros off. You're making more money than yeah, I am, bro. I know, I know. But, <laughs> but anyway, they, they, uh, uh, you know, they'll talk about that. And, uh, and, and you know, is this is this a detail, a historical detail? But I think again, probably this has to do with the degree to which Nicodemus was now venerating or, or recognizing uh, an honor. It was like kind of an, an honor. honor thing. And so, I mean, Joseph of Arimathea has already given him the tomb. Yes, right. You know what I mean? Like which he's already given the deal. tomb. There's already an expense. There's already yeah. Yeah. expense being yeah. taken here, and so. Yeah, and then it's another yeah. way of maybe showing honor there and so, to Jesus. So they, you know, then they they um, 
uh, you know, anointed his his body, and his, and as it says, John, John says, in keeping with the Jewish burial customs. So, so just a little bit about the burial there. Again, a little bit different than what we we think. Uh, the women as they're coming to the tomb, you might remember one of the discussions is who's going to roll away the to- the, the the stone so that we can get in mm-hmm. there, and and they they get there and they find the stones rolled away already, the tomb's empty. Uh, Matthew describes the detail that there was a guard place. There were two guards placed there at the tomb. And uh, mm-hmm. later gave testimony, uh, you know, and and, and uh, they they gave false testimony that his body was stolen, and you know, just very interesting uh, in, in keeping with that. But again, I would just wanted to think in, in terms of burial customs, uh, a little bit different than what perhaps we'd be used to in a in a graveside service in our day. So Jesus died uh, again on our behalf. Significance is he he died as a substitute for our sins, and then was buried uh, according to the scriptures, as Paul says in John 15. Yeah. And, and then there's significance in, in each one of those, yeah, you know, absolutely. the significance of the cross yeah. per se, not just running, I mean, running through with a sword, but kind of yeah. this arrogant display on the behalf of the Romans, yeah. you know, to, to, to uh, make him low. Yeah. And then you have the, 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 in his burial, the honor that some are giving to him as well, even in the Jesus the spices and so says, forth. Uh, you know, when he's asked about a sign, uh, at one point he says, uh, I'll give you no other sign than the sign of Jonah. And just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, then, you know, the son of man will be three days in the in the belly of the earth. Um, and so we have this kind of resurrection narrative that we're prepared for, but we'll talk, we'll talk more about next week. So. Excellent. Well, Brian, thanks for walking us through yeah. some of that uh, history yeah. of uh, crucifixion and uh, burial. You know, I think that's important for us, again, is to understand the significance of the resurrection. We have to understand yeah. the significance of the crucifixion yeah. as well and, and what that meant uh, to the people that were there and saw it and the scandal of the cross yes. in some ways, as you alluded to, yeah. that we, you know, we have that later on, that the, this this is a scandal yep. that... Um, that Jesus died on a cross, that, that God died for us yeah. on a cross, a symbol of, yeah. of, of humbling and uh, degradation during yeah. that time. So thanks so much, yeah. and I uh, look forward to that conversation yeah. about I'll uh, just wish for our listeners, Jesus coming out, too. Uh, I'll uh, wish for them a, a, a holy week that's full of significance and meaning for them and uh, time to remember uh, what Christ has done on our behalf. So absolutely, look forward to talking to you, too, again, Ryan. All right. Thanks, Brian. All right. Talk Best wishes. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. You can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com and find links there to follow us on social media. Next week, Brian and I, in preparation for Easter Sunday, are talking all about the resurrection. We hope you will join us for that. Thanks again for listening and sitting with us at the table in the bistro. We will be back Tuesday.